The Hammer, Chapter 4 Daylight filled his room. Corvin rubbed the sleep from his eyes and lifted up the hammer. There was an abiding sense of peace that came from having it with him. He certainly fell asleep easily and there were no bad dreams in the night. He looked over at the oak chest on the other side of his room. Made for him by his grandfather, it was four feet wide and so heavy it had never been moved from the place where it rested. If his theory was correct, when he inserted the hammer's handle into the hole in the front of the chest, a secret compartment should open up inside. Jumping out of bed, he opened the heavy lid and checked inside. Each of the sliding trays was filled with treasures he'd collected over the years. Bottle caps, agates, arrowheads, anything he could find as he explored the area around their farm. Kneeling in front of the chest, he examined the design his grandfather had carved into the front panel. It looked identical to what he'd seen glowing on the end of the hammer's handle, only it was twice the size. In the middle of the design was a shallow hole exactly the size of a half dollar. He knew this, for a year ago he'd pushed the fifty-cent piece he'd received for his fourteenth birthday into the hole. It got stuck, but it seemed as good as place as any to save it, so he had left it there. He dove back under the covers and fished around for the hammer. You sure are sleeping in a lot these days. Corvin poked his head out of the covers to see his mother at the door. Here was living proof that opposites attract, for unlike his father she was very tall, and no matter how much time she spent outdoors, her skin remained pale. She shook her head and frowned. You won't get a proper rest if you go to bed late and then sleep in. Corvin pulled his head back under the covers like a shy turtle. Hopefully she would think he was too tired and let him be. Don't even think about going back to sleep. You need to eat and then clean up the rest of the dishes. Your father was called to another meeting at the mine, and I'll be baking bread and canning peas. You've got five minutes. Her footsteps retreated down the stairs. Corvin lay under the covers in the dim light. He hoped his father's meeting at the mine went well. Personally, he wouldn't like to work underground all day and only come up at night, but his dad thrived on it. He spent as much time underground as possible and was always reading about mines and caves. He told Corvin that the continental crust of the earth was more than 25 miles thick, but most mines and caves were less than a mile deep. There's a whole world below us waiting to be discovered, he would say. We just need to find the key. Corvin touched the smooth stone of the hammer and then examined the blue glow of the insignia on its end. If his grandfather had made the hammer as a key to open the chest, then whatever was hidden inside must be his special 15th birthday present. Throwing the covers back, Corvin slipped to his knees in front of the chest. His hands trembled as he lifted the hammer toward the hole. A loud thump almost made him drop it. His mother banged again on the kitchen ceiling with her broom handle. Corvin groaned. If he didn't move fast, she would come up to get him. He placed the hammer into one of the cubby holes and covered it with his stamp collection. After quietly closing the lid, he got dressed and moved silently down the stairs. The scene in the kitchen caught him off guard. Mother stood at the sink, holding a dishcloth limply in her hand and staring out into the backyard. She was singing his special song in a quiet, broken voice. Corvin stood watching, not knowing what to say. He backed out of the kitchen and crept upstairs. What was going on? Everyone was acting so strange. After crouching at the top of the stairs for a few minutes, he heard Mother putting away dishes in the cupboards. Corvin bounded down the stairs, humming loudly. As he rounded the corner into the kitchen, the screen door banged shut behind his mother. His breakfast of two pancakes covered in raspberry jam sat on the table. He rolled one up and slurped up the jam that squeezed out of the center. Maybe he should tell his mother about the hammer. He shook his head. Not yet. First, he needed to see what was hidden in the chest. He ate as quickly as he could and 
added his plate to the pile of dirty dishes by the sink. He didn't mind washing dishes. The water was warm, and as he worked, he could look out the window toward the rock and let his imagination run wild. As he was drying the last plate, Mother came around the corner of the house to the back porch, a basket full of peas in her hands. A contented glow lit her eyes, and she smiled at him through the window. He hurried to the back door and took the basket from her. Thanks for finishing the dishes. She patted his back as he set the basket on the table. I'll be canning peas today, so I'll need the kitchen space. Corvin detested shelling peas, but he should at least offer to help. Is there anything I can do? Mother laughed. Your father told me that I should let you have a break from your chores since it's almost your birthday. You could spend the day out at that rock of yours if you like. You like our rock. The question came out before he could stop himself and he winced. She pulled a blue ceramic bowl from the cupboard and returned to the table. Why would you say that? Mother's fingers flew with practiced ease to the shelled peas rolling against one another inside the chipped bowl. Corvin took a handful of pea pods and sat across from her. I never see you come near it except on my birthday. Mother's fingers slowed. I don't like to think about what might happen out there. Corvin didn't like the sound of that. He was about to ask what she meant, but Mother continued. It's not the rock itself, son. It's, it's so much more. I'm not sure what I'm supposed to say to you. He hunched over the peas in his lap. That's what father said. Something was happening that both his parents knew about. It made him mad that they wouldn't just say what it was. Your father is trying to do what he thinks is best for you. She stopped shelling and looked at him. If what your grandfather told us is true, things will unfold in their own time. I don't understand how it could happen when the key piece is still missing. Corvin thought about the hammer sitting in the chest upstairs. Was it the key piece? He raised his head to find his mother studying him intently. If it isn't true, or if it's not the right time, why should we burden you with things that might never affect you? Can't you at least tell me something that makes sense? Mother came around the table and held him close. Don't be afraid. If the words are true, we will see you grow into a great leader. Corvin frowned. A great leader? How could the shortest, skinniest, most picked-on kid in school ever be a great leader? Mother smiled at him. Don't worry about it. I'm sure all things will come together in time. I'm just not ready yet to say goodbye to my only one. Corvin's heart lifted. He liked it when she called him my only one. It was a special name that she used only when no one else was around, and it was what she sang in her special song for him. So, are you going to shell peas all day, or is there something else you want to do? You'll finish the peas much faster if I'm not here to distract you with all my questions. Mother laughed as he headed for the stairs. Well, don't say I didn't give you a choice. As Corvin climbed the stairs, he heard the dull plunk of peas hitting the growing pile. Back in his room, Corvin retrieved the hammer from inside the chest and knelt on the floor. His mother's words had him worried. What if using the key was like a Pandora's box and bad things would start to happen? For a moment, he cradled the hammer in his hands. No, this was different. This key contained hope for the future, not evil. He could feel it. Holding his breath, he held the hammer like an oversized key and slowly fed it into the hole. A loud humming filled his ears and excitement rose in his chest. The sweet smell of burning oak filled his nostrils as wisps of smoke curled into the air. Sparks shot out from around the butt of the handle. The coin! He'd forgotten the half dollar. Yanking the handle out of the hole, he stuck his finger inside. Instantly, the scent of singed skin mixed with the aroma of burnt wood. He winced in pain pulled his blister fingertip from the hole and ran to the wash basin. 
The charred bowl was completely dry. Corvin's other fingers throbbed in sympathy. Bouncing up and down with pain, he searched the room for something cold. The smooth handle of the hammer beckoned to him. He jumped back toward the chest and pressed his stinging finger against the black stone. Instantly, the pain eased. He pushed more firmly, and the pain melted away. Releasing his breath, Corvin pulled his hand back. He examined his finger closely. It was a little red, but there was no welt or blister. He looked in amazement at the hammer. One minute it seemed intent on killing him, and the next it was healing his hand. This had to be the missing piece his mother had talked about. Corvin turned his attention back to the chest. The wood around the hole was charred and cracked, the blackened coins still stuck inside. Opening the lid of the chest, he took out his grandfather's carving set. Choosing the smallest chisel, he pried gently on the coin. The blackened circle of warped metal flicked out of the hole and skittered across the wood floor, tracing an erratic path toward the washstand. Corvin crawled after it as it wobbled to a halt and fell flat. He touched it gingerly and found it cool enough to pick up. One side still showed a person's head, but the other now carried the imprint of the design on the bottom of the hammer's handle. Corvin slid the coin into his pocket and crawled back to the chest. Holding his breath, he carefully inserted the handle again. He heard a whispering buzz, but it was only a bee at the window. He tried again, turning the head of the hammer as he held it in place. Nothing happened. He pushed harder, twisting it around in circles. Still no response. The stupid coin had wrecked it. Now he would never know what the hammer was supposed to do. Standing, he let the heavy lid fall. As it banged down on the chest, a thin panel of wood on the top of the lid flew open on a hidden hinge, rose a few inches, and snapped back down into place. Corvin stared for a moment, then stooped to grasp the front lip of the lid. He pulled gently. The entire lid rose from the chest. He let it drop again, but nothing happened. Falling to his knees, he fumbled to get the handle of the hammer back into the keyhole. A faint hum came from inside the chest. Holding his breath, he grasped the top edge. A thin panel separated and lifted away, revealing a gray cloth lining. The secret compartment was built right into the thick lid. He smiled. His grandfather would have laughed at all the times he had lifted that heavy lid to look for a secret compartment inside the chest. Running his hands over the gray fabric, he found odd shapes outlined beneath its supple folds. He pulled the cloth. It stretched but didn't come free. Looking closely, Corvin discovered a small black button holding the corner of the cloth in place. Feeling along the edges, he found five more. He unbuttoned them all and slowly pulled the cloth toward him. Each move of the cloth revealed a new artifact carefully fastened into the inner recesses of the lid. Corvin pulled the fabric into his lap, where its warm folds conformed to the contours of his body. He drank in the beautiful arrangement of the objects. His grandfather must have spent a lot of time on this part of the chest. His eyes wandered over the different items, a coil of rope, a pair of soft shoes, and a book. Finally, he'd get some answers. He leaned over to examine it. Bound in thin metal covers, the book's top was etched with the hammer's insignia. He tried to pick it up, but like all the other items in the lid, it was held into its softly padded indentation with a set of silver metal clips. His attempts to twist them to one side only resulted in a broken fingernail. The chisel from his carving set would give him more leverage. Carefully, he slid it under a clip and pulled up. Nothing budged. He pulled harder and the chisel snapped, leaving a thin scratch across the cover of the book. Whirling around, he grabbed the hammer and then spun back to the chest. When all else fails, give it a smack. He rapped on one of the clips. Instantly, all the clips around the book popped up and swiveled 180 degrees. Now that's cool. 
Corvin picked up the book and settled back against the end of his bed. It was about five inches square and no thicker than his baby finger, but it was heavy for its size, as if he were holding the history of the entire world in his hands. Thick pages lay between the covers, but he couldn't open it. Picking up the hammer, he placed the flat end of the handle in the center of the insignia carved into the front of the book. Without a sound, the covers separated. The pages were soft and flexible, more like cloth and paper. The first page contained only the original insignia and what looked to be a signature at the bottom. Corvin's hands trembled. He turned the first page, and then another, and another. The book was written in pictograph figures interspersed with small sketches of trees and simple figures of people. As he fanned through the last pages, a yellowed paper fluttered to the floor. It was a folded section of a newspaper printed September 20, 1938. Inside was a scrap of lined paper written in English. The first words leapt from the page, My dearest grandson Corvan. <laughs>